Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler, and this is my show, Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Um, I got to just give right off the bat an apology in advance. This episode is going to take a long time to come out. I, I know that because there's a lot of editing. A lot of moving parts. There's a lot of stuff going on in this episode. I'm doing a film analysis of Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. I'm doing one of DK Metcalf, the Seahawks wide receiver, who I get a lot of a lot of flack about my opinions on him. Uh, but first, before we do anything, I just want to say thank you to Bespoke Post for sponsoring this episode. That is B-E-Spoke Post, BespokePost.com. Uh, new subscribers can get 20% off with their first box. Oh, excuse me. Wow. English is hard. I know that's my, my typical thing. Uh, and, and now I'm giving them more time than they paid for, but Hey, they deserve it. Cause I screwed up their tag. Uh, new subscribers can get 20% off their first box with promo code strong 20. That's all caps strong 20. Uh, link is in the description below. If you want, if you want it, and maybe it's below, maybe you're listening on audio feeds, go to bespokepost.com. Use the code strong 20. Again, new subscribers get 20% off. I did a whole video about my experience with them. Uh, they were great to work with. I liked them a lot. And uh, if you look up, go to YouTube, look up Zach Schaumler. Just, you'll, find, you'll find my account, my personal YouTube channel, and my video there about them if you want to. Uh, I want to shift gears now to the Green Bay Packers. Ah, oh man. The Packers are having a great season. And uh, my motivation for film this time was very simple. I just wanted to know, what does the film say? about the Green Bay Packers. Now, if you're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers season, you cannot skip over week one. Week one, the Packers beat the Bears 10 to three, and Aaron Rodgers and the offense looked disorganized. They had some timing issues, they had protection issues, and they missed assignments up front, which made it hard for them to run the ball. Their lone touchdown drive was sparked by a big play. They had a big giant pass, and Aaron Rodgers hit four throws in a row. This touchdown against the Bears is a prime example of his awareness. One of the things and one of the factors that makes him such a good quarterback is his awareness of every situation and everything happening around him. The Bears defense gets stuck with too many men on the field, and this means the Packers can do whatever they want free of consequence. It's a free play because the pre-snap penalty means if they don't like the outcome of the play, they can accept the penalty and replay the down. Now, Rodgers knows all of this and uses his freedom to throw up a jump ball for a touchdown. That's not the only time he does this. And in fact, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers do it often. A similar situation took place during the Denver Broncos game. The defense jumps off sides. Rodgers uses the free play and launches the ball deep into the end zone for a touchdown. Basically, if your team screws up pre-snap, Rodgers will launch the ball towards the end zone and probably make your team pay. Now, Aaron Rodgers also shows tremendous awareness behind the line of scrimmage. His mobility and his ability to extend plays is next level. I know I did a video about Gardner Minshew the other day. Uh, watching Aaron Rodgers was a big contrast to Gardner Minshew. The one guy in my Gardner Minshew video I didn't mention was Aaron Rodgers. I talked about how Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, and I even gave Gardner Minshew credit for running around behind the line of scrimmage and extending plays. Aaron Rodgers is the master of this. One of the things that Gardner Minshew, the Jaguars quarterback, struggled with is his awareness behind the line of scrimmage. He'd either get sacked and he wouldn't see it coming, or he would get hit behind the line of scrimmage, not expect the hit, and fumble the ball. That is not how Aaron Rodgers plays. He does such a good job understanding where everything is around him, and he's elite at knowing when it's time to stop scrambling and get rid of the ball. Now, it is important to say, one time Aaron Rodgers was hit from his blind side while he was throwing, and he fumbled. And I say this because even Aaron Rodgers isn't perfect. Now, Aaron Rodgers is arguably the most talented quarterback at all time, doesn't mean he can feel and see everything around him. I think some people want quarterbacks and other superstars to be perfect all of the time. It's just not realistic. 
The reason why I'm talking about this is it's a subtle reminder that even the best of the best make mistakes. Even Aaron Rodgers misses throws sometimes. I hope you remember that next time you're yelling at your TV because your favorite quarterback does something you don't like. Now, the difference for Aaron Rodgers, however, is that those mistakes are few and far between. That's what makes him such a great quarterback is the mistakes are rare. Now, he's great at extending plays. He's one of the best in the NFL, if not the best in the NFL at running around behind the line of scrimmage. But his arm talent is also ridiculous. He makes every single throw look so effortless. In my opinion, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are the two best throwers of the deep ball in the entire NFL. He's so accurate. Aaron Rodgers is so precise throwing the football. And what's even more jaw-dropping is how easy he makes it look while throwing on the run. Now, I've gushed about Aaron Rodgers a ton, but I haven't even mentioned how good he is at reading defenses. Aaron Rodgers has mastered NFL defenses. A play that stands out to me is from his game against the Cowboys. The Cowboys defense tries to disguise their coverage. They're playing man coverage, but pre-snap, they line up as if they're in zone coverage. They're trying to confuse Aaron Rodgers. Everybody has their eyes inside looking at the quarterback, and they're far away from the man they're guarding. Now, one key tell here is that there's one high safety back deep in the middle of the field. That helps us make an inference it might be man coverage. But we know it's man because the corner runs all the way across the field to guard the shallow route over the middle. Now, Aaron Rodgers sees the Cowboys trying to disguise their coverage, and he doesn't even blink. He says, okay, if you're going to play 10 yards off of Geronimo Allison in man coverage, then I'll just take 22 yards all day, every day. Now, there's another play against the Raiders where Rodgers uses his eyes to hold the safety in the middle of the field. Because Aaron Rodgers is looking at the middle of the field, the safety also stays in the middle of the field. The safety's doing what Aaron Rodgers' eyes are telling him to. Now, the corner on the right, however, thinks he has help over the top from that safety with the guy running vertical. What Aaron Rodgers does here is uses his eyes to create. He gets a receiver open down the right sideline and throws a long touchdown pass, by the way, with only 20 seconds left before halftime. That had to be so demoralizing for the Raiders. You know what? Before it was 14 to 10. Now, instead, going into halftime, it's 21 to 10. That one had to hurt. But how about the rest of the offense? I've also been really impressed with Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. At running back, Aaron Jones has really turned into a star for this Packers offense. He runs so hard, and he is not easy to tackle. He can either run right over you and run through you, or he can run right by you because he's so fast. The Packers' best games have come during the days Aaron Jones plays phenomenal. I know the quarterback Aaron Rodgers gets a ton of credit for the Packers' success, but the truth is Aaron Jones is a huge part of why the Packers have been successful on offense this season. The guy runs really, really well, but he also contributes in the passing game with some good catches out of the backfield. Another guy who deserves respect is Packers receiver Devontae Adams. I have never appreciated just how good he is until I watched the film. The dude runs great routes. He's had some really good catches this year. And he's pretty good at running after the catch. He can break some tackles after he makes a catch and run downfield. Now, the biggest change to the Packers offense this year has been their coach, Matt LaFleur. This is his first year as the head coach of the Packers. And I am so impressed with his play design and his play calling. Matt LaFleur's mind creates big plays and success for the Packers offense. I want to talk about a sequence against the Minnesota Vikings. First, the Packers throw for a big 39-yard gain. Now, clearly to me, this play was a product of a weakness Matt LaFleur saw on tape. The Packers faked the run and had seven guys left inside to block. Not to mention Rodgers only had one real option to throw the football. Matt LaFleur called a double move for the Packers receiver. I'll explain that in a minute. But first, look at the Vikings corner here. He allows the receiver to get behind him, believing the safety is going to help cover him when he goes vertical. That's where the double move comes into play. 
The receiver's first move is inside. That causes the safety to stay closer to the middle of the field. Then the receiver's second move, which is called his double move, is back outside. By then, the safety is already way out of position, too far inside, and the play goes for a big 39-yard gain. This play was a direct product of Matt LaFleur's mind generating a big play for the Packers' offense. Now, that play was followed up by another good play design. The Packers send Aaron Jones in motion left to the outside. They fake the run to the right and throw a screen back to the left to Jones. The Vikings are in a zone defense, meaning that every defender is responsible for an area. That's part of why nobody bumps out wide to account for Aaron Jones. Now, the left side already has two receivers and two defenders on that side. The other reason why nobody bounced out with Aaron Jones is because the Packers used a run fake. That held the outside linebacker inside, which created tremendous leverage for Aaron Jones. Now he has two receivers to use as blockers to block the two defenders and a one-on-one matchup with a linebacker who is way too far inside. Now, two plays later, the Packers run the same action again. They put Aaron Jones in motion left, and this time the Vikings defense reacts to it more strongly. They commit four defenders to that left side of the field, leaving the right side with fewer numbers. And Rodgers throws a screen to the opposite side. Jamal Williams catches the ball on the right side of the field and is set up with a perfect look in front of him. There are three defenders in front of him and three blockers to block or occupy them while he runs past. Now, Jamal Williams gets credit here. He runs into the end zone. He does his job. And all this is why I am so impressed with the Packers head coach, Matt LaFleur. He called a sequence with two plays there that worked off of each other and countered each other and was just toying with the Vikings defense. Matt LaFleur does a great job putting his players in a position to succeed. But he's also really creative. One of my favorite plays the Packers have run all season is a wheel route down the sideline with a fullback. A fullback is a position that generally is just a blocker. He ran it against the Raiders and against the Broncos. What the Packers do here is fake the run, and the fullback steps up like he's going to block. That causes the Broncos linebacker Josie Jewell to step up and defend the run. But instead of blocking him, Danny Vitale runs right past Josie Jewell and down the sideline. He makes a big catch, and it sets up a one-yard touchdown run by Aaron Jones. Over and over and over again, I have been so impressed with Matt LaFleur's play design. The dude has been a great fit as head coach of this Packers organization. Now, how about the Packers' defense? They've been quite interesting this year. Uh, They give up a lot of points, admittedly. But they make some big plays when they're needed, and they get the ball in the hands of their offense by forcing turnovers. They have a lot of takeaways. The additions of Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith on the outside have had a really positive impact on both their season and on the culture of their defense. Now, the final thing we need to discuss is that the Chargers showed a template and a way. If you want to beat the Packers, here's how you can do it. The Packers lost to the Chargers 26-11, to and the offense struggled. Now, some people can blame the defense if they want, uh, but the truth is that the Packers' defense didn't do anything out of the ordinary in this game. Regularly, the Packers' defense gives up a lot of points. They gave up 34 points to the Eagles, 24 points to the Cowboys, 23 points to the Lions, 24 to the Raiders, and another 24 to the Chiefs. Even in victory, the Packers' defense has a habit of giving up a lot of points. Again, the way the Packers' defense succeeds is not necessarily by stopping teams from scoring, but by creating turnovers and putting the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands. That means that the Packers' offense needs to score in order for them to win. So the reason the Packers lost to the Chargers was because of the way the Chargers' defense slowed down Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and the Packers' offense. Here's how you beat the Packers. Number one, you need to stop the run and slow down their running back, Aaron Jones. Number two, you got to play really good coverage. You have to force Aaron Rodgers to be perfect. If he isn't, if he throws a pass that's off by six inches, you got to make him pay and knock that pass down or intercept it. 
And number three, most important, if you can stop the run and you can cover well, then you can get the Packers into third and long situations. And that is where, and this is super important, you need to have a good enough pass rush to create pressure on Aaron Rodgers. The Chargers have Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. And the Chargers created pressure by winning one-on-one matchups with their defensive line. You know, a team like the 49ers has the defensive personnel to beat the Packers. I would not be shocked if the Packers season came to an end in the playoffs against the 49ers. So that is what the film says about the Green Bay Packers. They're a great football team. I had a ton of fun watching them, but there is a way to beat them. All right, uh, I want to shift gears. I want to remind anybody who wants a Strong Opinion sports shirt. Uh, Shirts are on sale until midnight on November 25th. You cannot buy a shirt after November 25th. There are two options. Again, there's a premium cotton blend that's $20. It's a high-end premium cotton material. And for $25, you can get a performance-style shirt. That's a stretchy workout shirt. Again, you have until November 25th to buy a shirt. If you want a Strong Opinion Sports shirt, buy one before November 25th. Okay, uh, I want to shift gears now to the Seattle Seahawks. Before the NFL draft, many people were saying that wide receiver DK Metcalf was a top 10 pick. I disagreed with that. I said DK Metcalf will not be a top 10 pick. On March 6th, I said this. I look at DK Metcalf and I go, he's okay. He's, he's not bad. He's not awful, but he's not, he's not the guy I would draft as the first receiver drafted in a normal NFL draft. He's not Julio Jones. He's not DeAndre Hopkins. We're falling in love with a guy who's, frankly, nah, he's fine. Not amazing. DK Metcalf gets away with really lazy and bad technique because he's so big, because he's six foot three, he's jacked, he can push people around, and it's not going to work in the NFL. His technique isn't up to snuff because he's gotten away with bad habits for years. He's a really good vertical threat. You want a guy running deep down the field, running a streak? That's what you want him for. He's also an average route runner. He's not crisp. He doesn't run great, amazing routes like you need to see in the NFL. So number one, I said he would not be a top pick. I was right. He was drafted 64th overall in the second round. In fact, he was the last pick of the second round of the NFL draft by the Seattle Seahawks. Now, in that clip you watched, I also said something that was very, very wrong. I said, it's not going to work in the NFL. And, uh, well, when he was drafted by the Seattle Seahawks, I evolved my opinion. On July 23rd, I said this. With the Seahawks, DK Metcalf went to a perfect, perfect team for him. I cannot think of a better role for DK Metcalf than being the Seattle Seahawks deep threat. I really can't. They love to take shots downfield. That's what he's best at. Um, Now, I admit, I don't like DK's ability running routes. He has poor lateral movement. He's not a good technical route runner. He's really raw. But undoubtedly, his best trait is running in a straight line. He's good at getting open, running in a straight line. But I see him having some really nice catches down the road for the Seattle Seahawks this season. Um, I believe he went to a perfect spot And I think the Seattle Seahawks are a great fit for DK Metcalf. So I think I was right twice. I said he wouldn't be a top 10 pick, and he wasn't. Now, I was a bit surprised when eight receivers were drafted ahead of him. I didn't think that would happen. But I also then said he would do well with the Seattle Seahawks. But why? Why is he doing so well? That's the fun part to me. What's the film say about DK Metcalf? A big part of why DK Metcalf has been so successful is that the Seahawks aren't asking for a lot from him. DK Metcalf has 35 catches this year, and eight of those catches are slants. Ten of them are go routes. So 51% of his catches, 18 of 35, are slants or go routes and fades. The Seahawks are mostly asking DK Metcalf to do two things. They isolate him on one side, they get him in one-on-one coverage, And then they have him run either a go route and run right by guys or a slant and use his big frame to make catches. Now, week four, the Seahawks began throwing screens to DK. They realized, oh, hey, it's really hard to tackle this guy. And they just started flipping the ball out to him wide and having him break tackles. Now, unfortunately, twice, 
DK Metcalf has fumbled on plays designed like this. One time against the Ravens, he fumbled, and they ran it back for a touchdown. Now, I don't really want to be too hard on this. Uh, It just stinks. It's kind of unfortunate fumbles happen, especially the way this one happened. But he also fumbled on the goal line in that really big Monday night football game against the 49ers. That one was not as forgivable. It just, he fumbled. He got beat. The ball got taken out of his hands, and that's unfortunate. Now, the Seahawks aren't asking very much of him. He's caught two different out routes. Uh, He's caught three hitch routes, which is where you run, you stop, you turn around. And the Seahawks occasionally use him to run across the middle of the field on play-action passes. He has four catches on those type of plays. The most technical route they've had him run all year, one time, they had him run a front-side comeback route. You run vertical, then you come back downhill to the sideline. The Seahawks have been really, really smart with the way they've used DK Metcalf. They're only asking him to do what he's good at. Mostly, he just runs right by guys and gets open downfield. Now, the reality is, he has average hands. He's not the best catcher of the football. He's a number of drops, and he struggles to catch jump balls. He hasn't become the juggernaut or the, the dominant jump ball guy I think they've wanted him to be. They've tried. They've thrown a lot of jump balls to him, and he hasn't made it happen. Now, the biggest flaw in his game is that his route running ability and his technical skills are not that great. Nothing makes it more apparent than watching his clunky back shoulder fade routes. Over and over and over again, the Seahawks have tried to throw back shoulder fade balls to DK Metcalf, and he really struggles to adjust to the ball. They've thrown back shoulder fades to him countless times, and he's only caught three of them. Usually his issue is that he turns too early. Ideally, you want to let the ball turn you. As it comes to you, you turn at the last second and catch the ball. When DK Metcalf turns too early, it tells the defender guarding him that the ball is on the way. DK Metcalf tips his hand, and then defender simply knocks the ball away. So all in all, I love what the Seattle Seahawks are doing with DK Metcalf. They have catered their offense to work to his advantage. They use his strengths and let him use them and use them and use them and abuse defenders by doing what he's good at. They use play action, they throw the ball deep to him. They're not asking him to do too many different things. They're asking him to do what he's good at. And so far this year, the guy has 35 catches, he has 595 yards, he has five touchdowns, and a large part of that success is because of the vision by the Seattle Seahawks. They saw how they could use him, and they've put him in a position to succeed. So guys, you know, the point wasn't whether or not I was right or wrong about DK Metcalf. The point is that the Seattle Seahawks offense is so well designed. They know exactly what they're doing. They're using DK Metcalf to the best of his ability. And that deserves a lot of respect and a lot of credit. Makes me excited and fired up. Like, man, they did a great job. They saw a guy and said, we can use his talent. We know exactly how to do it. And that's exactly what they've done. And uh, I had such a blast watching DK Metcalf's film and seeing what the film says about DK Metcalf. All right, guys, I want to take a short break. Uh, When I return, we'll talk about Kirk Cousins. We will talk about four college football games this weekend that I'm fired up to watch. And we will talk about the Arizona Cardinals. And later at the end of the show, we will do Ask Zach. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. Oh, right, we are back. Um, I want to talk about this now. Kirk Cousins deserves some recognition. Um, I have been very, very skeptical of Kirk Cousins in the past. I've talked about how he struggled in big moments, where in big moments, in big games, he has turnovers, he loses in prime time. And uh, two weeks ago on Sunday Night Football, the dude showed up. He had, I think, his best game with the Minnesota Vikings. I think the Vikings as a whole had their best game since Kirk Cousins became their quarterback. Their best game, I think, in two years was against the Dallas Cowboys last Sunday in Dallas. And I pointed out that it felt like there was an evolution with Kirk Cousins. I said, look, I think we're seeing the tides turn. The way Kirk is talking about things, the way he's presenting himself, things seem different. And then he did a a podcast interview with legendary quarterback Brett Favre. And Kirk talked about how sometimes he's felt like he has the weight of the world on his shoulders and he has to deliver. And he's recently been focusing more now on enjoying the game 
and relaxing, taking a deep breath, going, ah, I love the organization I play for. I work with good people and just enjoying the game. And we've seen a change, in my opinion, in Kirk Cousins, a real evolution. You know, two weeks ago, we saw progress against the Dallas Cowboys. He was awesome in a big moment in a big game. But I think this Sunday, he took another big step forward. This Sunday was a big moment. On Sunday, the Vikings were losing 20 to 0. 20 to nothing at halftime is what the Vikings were doing. They were losing to the Denver Broncos. And the Vikings were struggling in the first half. They had penalties, they had sacks, and those led to third and long situations. They had a third and 23, they had a third and 19, they had a third and 14. And the real kicker was they couldn't run the ball. On a third and one, the Vikings couldn't run for a first down. And all year, the Vikings' bread and butter have been their ability to run the ball. Until that game, they had the leading rusher in the NFL. My guess is I haven't seen the numbers, but based on how little they were able to run the ball against the Denver Broncos, my guess is Dalvin Cook is now no longer the NFL's leading rusher. And man, again, they struggled. They couldn't run the ball. Kirk Cousins had a fumble in the first half. Uh, The Vikings fumbled on a kickoff return in the first half. And all in all, the Vikings at halftime found themselves in a horrible situation down 20 to nothing at halftime. At home, by the way. And then at halftime, Kirk Cousins came alive. He suddenly took over in the second half. He was phenomenal. He brought his team all the way back, by the way. You know, he threw perfect passes all the way through the second half. In the fourth quarter of the Vikings game on Sunday, Kirk Cousins only had one incompletion the entire fourth quarter. That's so impressive to me. That's a huge deal. And in that big moment, down 20 points, playing horribly when Kirk's team needed him, he delivered. He finished the game 29 for 35. That's an 82% completion percentage, almost 83. He had three touchdowns, 319 yards passing, zero interceptions. And Kirk led his team all the way back to win 27 to 23. deserves an applause. I have been so critical. I have been so hard on Kirk Cousins and oh my gosh, he's making it happen. It makes me so, I like Kirk by the way. I I really, I've always said this. He's like the little engine that could. He's so likable. He's such a good guy. All I've wanted is for Kirk Cousins to succeed. He's like the little engine that could. And so when I see Kirk Cousins having success, playing well, It makes me so happy. It just brings joy to my heart. Um, Now, on a cool note, by the way, this is very important. I've given so much credit to Kirk Cousins for that victory on Sunday. He deserves it. He created a bunch of points. They did a great job. Kirk Cousins led his team to victory. However, the defense also deserves a lot of credit here. The Vikings defense had a goal line stand to finish the game. The Broncos had the ball first in goal from the four-yard line with 10 seconds left in the game. And the Broncos ran three plays in a row from the four-yard line. They couldn't score on any of them. And that is how the Vikings got the victory. Credit to Kirk. In a huge moment, he showed up. And man, that defense in a big moment when their team needed them. First and goal from the four-yard line. Second and goal. Third and goal. The Vikings defense came up big and stopped the Denver Broncos from being able to win that football game. And uh, I just want to say again, I think we are seeing an evolution of Kirk Cousins where he's a different guy. He's a different quarterback. He's got a different mindset. I think he feels differently. He's been dealing with some of his demons. And uh, to me, that makes it, it just makes me so happy. And if we are truly seeing an evolution of Kirk Cousins where he's becoming a different quarterback and he's playing good in big moments, that's horrifying. Because look, Kirk Cousins, I did a film analysis of him last year. He's a good quarterback. Like, The dude plays really, really well. It's just his only flaw has been when the pressure's on, he's tended to shrink. If he's overcome that, look out. The Vikings are on their way to a Super Bowl. It's it's horrifying. They have a good defense. They run the ball really well. And now they have a quarterback with Moxie who plays well in big moments. I'm telling you, if that's the case, the Vikings are a train and you either just get out of the way. The Vikings are on to good stuff. If Kirk Cousins continues this evolution he's been on, oh my gosh. Um, it's going to be a huge deal in Minnesota. All right, I want to shift gears to college football. 
There are four games this weekend in college football I find to be really, really exciting. And I'm going to add an extra game. I said it's four and a half. And it's an extra game uh, that I think you might want to pay attention to, although I don't know that you should watch it. So first, number eight, Penn State, plays at number two, Ohio State. Um, if anyone's going to slow down Ohio State, Ohio State's trying to have an undefeated season and go into the college football playoff. I think if any team on Ohio State's schedule is going to do it, it's Penn State. Now, the reality is, in my opinion, I think Ohio State's going to win by a lot. Uh, they're playing a game at home. They're a better team. They're far deeper. We saw Penn State recently lose to Minnesota. I, don't, I think if Penn State and Minnesota are competitive, then Ohio State and Penn State's probably not competitive at all because Ohio State has so much depth and so much NFL talent all over the place. Um, but I'm going to watch it, and it should be fun, and I'm really excited to watch uh, the Ohio State quarterback and how he, you know, uh, uh, Justin Fields, how does he play? I haven't really sat down and watched him play an entire game this year because, I mean, every game they win is by a blowout. I'm not going to watch it. I'm finally going to watch Ohio State and watch them in full. I've seen some stuff. I've watched a lot of stuff, and I've seen enough to go, they're clearly really, really good, but I'm going to finally sit down and watch Penn State at Ohio State in full, and I'm so excited to watch that quarterback, Justin Fields. How good is he? We'll find out. Okay, uh, another game that's really, really good is number 21, Oklahoma State, travels to Morgantown to play West Virginia. And um, the reason why I want to watch this game is I want to watch Oklahoma State running back Chuba Hubbard. He leads the nation in stats. He's an incredible running back statistically. And I'm curious about his NFL looks. Why isn't Chuba Hubbard getting NFL looks. I can't figure it out. I have no idea. And that's what I'm excited to see coming up this weekend. Uh, another game I'm excited to watch is Texas at number 12, Baylor. Oh my gosh, this is cool. Uh, first of all, the game is at Baylor, and I love watching Baylor Stadium on TV. It's this new stadium. It's beautiful. It's cool. It's fun. And um, Texas is 6-4. and four. Remember Texas last year? We're back, baby. And Texas was all, you know, they had Sam Ellinger was all proud. They won the their bowl game. It was a big deal. Well, Texas is six and four. Doesn't seem like they're back. Something has gone wrong this year. I don't actually know, but I'm gonna watch a game finally for myself and figure out what is going wrong with Texas. Now, Baylor's nine and one. They host Texas in this game. Baylor's trying to get to the Big 12 championship with just one loss so they can have a chance to compete with Oklahoma and see if there's a way Baylor can sneak into the college football playoff. And so it's a big game for Baylor. They need to win. And Texas, man, they're six and four. They can't go six and five. They got to win another game. It's a huge rivalry game. It's, you know, two teams in Texas, a lot of bragging rights at stake. And uh, I'm excited to see what happens. Now, the last game of the day, the one I'm really excited to watch, I'm going to have uh, something in the crock pot all day. And finally, by the time this comes out, I'll be ready to take myself out of the crock pot and eat and watch this game. 7.30 p.m. West Coast kickoff time. So that means it's like if you're on the East Coast, this game doesn't start for you until 10.30, which is absurd. Um, but it's number 20 Boise State at Utah State. Uh, first of all, I'm really close with a, a Utah State recruit. He's going there to play quarterback. I love him. He's awesome. And I, I really want to watch Utah State quarterback Jordan Love in this game. Jordan Love is... Um, rumored, and a lot of people, in fact, if you look at mock drafts, a lot of people have Jordan Love being a top quarterback picked in the first round. A lot of people say he's going to be like a, the 17th overall pick. I don't know. I haven't watched anything of Jordan Love. I'm just going off reputation, but I'm really excited to watch Jordan Love and how he plays this week against Boise State. Boise State's a really good football team, and uh, you know they're 9-1. and one. How does Jordan Love handle this big moment against a really good football team. I, I just, I want to watch that. I'm going to take notes and have fun. I'll have something to say next week about Jordan Love and impressions from his game against Boise State. Now, those are four big games uh, I'm really excited to watch. There's also another one. I don't know if I'll watch it. It's on the same time as Ohio State, Penn State, but I'm going to follow it. And in fact, if Ohio State game become, if Ohio State's game becomes a blowout and I can find a way to watch Minnesota versus Northwestern. So it's number 10 Minnesota at Northwestern. If I can watch that game and it's close at the end, I will. Because Minnesota quarterback Tanner Morgan is in concussion protocol. He might not play on Saturday against Northwestern. Minnesota's 9-1. and one. They need to win. Minnesota's trying to get to the Big Ten championship game. If they can, in fact, win their side of the Big Ten and go play Ohio State 
in the Big Ten Championship, then Minnesota will have the opportunity to go to the Rose Bowl. Because Ohio State, if they're undefeated, will go on to the college football playoff. That means the runner-up of the Big Ten will go play in the Rose Bowl. So if Minnesota wants to keep their Rose Bowl hopes alive, they have to win on Saturday. A big game against Northwestern. They might not have their quarterback. And then in two weeks, Minnesota plays Wisconsin. So pay attention to number 10 Minnesota this weekend. I don't know if I'll watch that game. It's on the same time as Ohio State. But track it. Pay attention to it because that game has big ramifications for the University of Minnesota. All right, guys. um, I want to shift gears. I have one more thing before we take a break. I hope, I I really hope people are paying attention to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I know they're three, seven, and one. They have three wins, seven losses, and one tie. But the Cardinals are a young team that is learning how to win. I've had a blast. I've been watching them really closely for the last three weeks. Uh, They lost all three games, by the way. They lost twice to the 49ers, and then between those losses to the 49ers, they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, They lost three times, but they're fighting really, really hard, and they're making progress. In my opinion, this Arizona Cardinals team is a huge step forward from what the Cardinals were last year. I think any Cardinals fan can admit that. Uh, Last year, the Cardinals were not competitive. They were not fun to watch. This year, they're losing, but they're fighting. They're close. They're in games. And it's just a blast. And I think a lot of people can say, well, I, you know, if there were any good, they'd win games. They played the best defense in the NFL two weeks, you know, two times in the last three weeks and put up a lot of points. They did well. I just went and saw a movie this weekend. I went and saw Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, it was an incredible movie, really inspiring. And what was interesting to me is that you know, when Carroll Shelby took over Ford's racing division and was trying to race at Le Mans against Ferrari, the first time Carroll Shelby took over, they lost. They got their butts kicked by Ferrari. And what's interesting is that it's that they needed to learn. They made progress. That first year when they lost to Ferrari in the race, they, they did get their butts kicked. But they learned from it. They were learning how to win. Just like Ford in the 1964 Le Mans race they lost, the Arizona Cardinals are learning how to win. I will say, I really love, I love, and by the way, what I mean is there's all kinds of stuff. How do you handle adversity? How do you handle this? It's a a first-time coach who's never coached in the NFL before, but I love, I love the foundation the Arizona Cardinals have built. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury is their new head coach. It's his first year as a head coach in the NFL, and he did not win a lot in college. I think, honestly, truly, he's better suited to work in the NFL than he is in college. And college, as as a head coach, there's a lot of BS you got to deal with. You got to do recruiting. You got to go meet with boosters, just yada, yada. There's a bunch of stuff that I don't think that Cliff Kingsbury is suited for. It's hard to recruit at Texas Tech, by the way. You're in a state with Baylor with a new stadium, Texas, Texas A&M. There's all kinds of draw. Why would you're like the fifth option in, in, uh, in Texas? Like the reason why Mike Leach won at Texas Tech was because he could win with very little talent. Cliff Kingsbury didn't do anything different from Mike Leach. He also couldn't attract top talent to Texas Tech. The good news is Cliff Kingsbury doesn't have to recruit anymore. All he has to do and all he can do and he's allowed to do, he just gets to focus on football. And that, in my opinion, is where Cliff Kingsbury does his best. Now, Kyler Murray, the rookie quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, is not perfect. But, oh my gosh, man, watching him play the last three weeks, the dude throws a great ball. He's making strides. He's making progress. He's really, really good. And so I am so encouraged watching the Arizona Cardinals. There are a couple things, in my opinion, I think three, roughly, that the Arizona Cardinals need to do in order to win games and elevate their team next year. One, they got to get their defense some help. They need a defensive lineman. They probably need some help in their secondary and then the third thing the Viking, the excuse me, the Vikings, wow, the Arizona Cardinals need to do is they have to nail their first round draft pick coming up in this year's NFL draft. Um, you know, a lot of teams, in my opinion, are going to be distracted by quarterbacks. There are a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. The Cardinals are not one of those teams. Uh, they can draft a quality player, a guy like, you know, they have the number nine. Currently, they're projected to have the number nine overall pick in the NFL draft. They could pick up a guy like CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy, two really good receivers, or an offensive lineman or an offensive def- or a defensive lineman. Uh, they could pick up A.J. Epinesa from Iowa, a defensive lineman. They could pick up Derek Brown, 
a defensive lineman from Auburn uh, or an offensive lineman. Maybe it's uh, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa or Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Either way, the Arizona Cardinals need to go get quality and do really well next year in that first round draft. Either they're going to move, either they're going to trade down and get more first round picks, or they're going to draft a really good impact player who can make a huge, huge difference on their football team next year, whether it's an offensive or defensive lineman. I think they really need an offensive lineman. It'd be great if they could sign a defensive lineman in free agency and draft an offensive lineman in the draft. That'd be huge. But that's what they have to do. And if the Cardinals can do all that, get the defense a little bit of help, nail a first-round pick, oh my gosh, get out of the way. I think the Cardinals are on to something. they got a great head coach. they got a great quarterback. They are building something. They're a young team that's learning how to win. And once they figure out how to win, look out. The Arizona Cardinals are a good football team. Their record might not show it, but they're a young team learning to win. And I hope, I really hope you're paying attention. All right, guys, uh, I'm going to take a short break. Before I do that, I want to do the weekly segment or the, the what is it, the, the segment to do every single episode, uh, which is to say that if you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, you may not know, three years ago, my younger brother took his life. Um, it was heartbreaking. It was a painful loss, and I learned two painful lessons from that. Uh, number one is that if you're struggling, go get help. My brother never shared his struggles. He suffered in silence, and one day I came home and found him dead on the floor, and that was painful, and that was awful. Now, the second thing is that I didn't make it clear enough to my brother that I loved him and I was there for him. So number one, if you're struggling, go get help. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. If you're struggling, please go get help. But again, I didn't make it clear enough to my brother that I, I was there for him, that he could talk to me about his struggles. We hung out every week. My brother and I talked about video games and movies and all kinds of stuff, and we never had a real deep conversation. So I encourage you, don't be afraid to have a conversation that is about more than video games or movies or whatever. Ask your friends, hey, how are you doing? And make it clear to them you love them and you're there for them. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will do Ask Zach. All right, we are back. Uh, it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. It's time for Ask Zach. Uh, this segment is the way I end every single one of my podcasts. People who support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It's a dollar a month. Uh, you can give me more if you want. Please do. It's a huge deal. It literally pays my bills. Um, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on patreon.com. You can send me a direct message or you can comment a post. Uh, you can comment to a post on Patreon. English is hard. I'm sorry. Doing my best. Um, and I will not guarantee to answer your question on the show if you comment and send me a question, but I do guarantee to look at every single question with my eyeballs. And then I pick the top couple and read them at the end of every show and uh, answer them. And so I want to start with a question from Jackson. Jackson writes in, I'm so stupid. I always do the intro and I forget to open the Google docs with all the questions on it. Um, also, by the way, I'm thinking of making a change to ask Zach. I want to do a better job answering more questions. And so I'm thinking about doing a, a weekly segment and weekly podcast, like on Thursdays, maybe where, um, here's, here's, here's my whole goal. I'm going to be very honest and very open with you guys. I don't, I don't think really only hardcore, strong opinion sports listeners listen to this. Um, I have a goal and I'm, I'm failing at it right now because my episodes are too long. I want to make an episode every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, like a short 45 minute episode, film analysis, almost every, every single episode. And with talking about the current news, because right now the show comes out way too late. I'm talking about a game from Sunday today, and today is Thursday. That's too late. I just is it's taking too long. And so what I want to do is do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, a show that are shorter, 40, 45 minutes, maybe an hour if it's crazy long. But every Monday, Wednesday, Friday record, and then once a week doing a, an entire episode every Thursday dedicated to Ask Zach, where instead of doing Ask Zach at the end of an episode and adding another like 40, you know, 30, 20, 40 minutes to the end of every show, making every episode shorter and doing every Thursday a longer episode, like an hour and, you know, maybe it's an hour and a half dedicated entirely to answering questions from Ask Zach. And that way I can answer more questions and it's more of a routine you can follow. So what I would do is say, okay, I'm going to post on Monday uh, a new post on Patreon. Post your questions underneath that and I'll say all the questions submitted by 
Wednesday night at midnight, get, you know, all those questions, whatever. Honestly, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to look at every question on that post and I'm going to read them, read all the ones I like on an, uh, an episode of Ask Zach, entirely dedicated to doing Ask Zach. And that's it. It's an hour and a half of strong opinion sports, just answering questions. I don't know if people would like that. I really, I really, really like that idea to once a week do an entire episode dedicated to Ask Zach. I can answer more questions and get more out. I really like that idea. Um, if you're listening and you follow me on Instagram, send me a direct message. Tell me what you think or send me a message on Patreon. Tell me if you like that idea. I love that idea because you guys send me so many questions and I just am not able to answer all of them. But I think if I do an episode dedicated to Ask Zach, I can answer more questions and it'll shorten my episodes, which means they'll upload faster. There'll be less preparation and I can make episodes more quickly. So I think in the end, what I really want to do is four episodes a week, three really sh- you know, short or more concise news type episodes and then one episode longer dedicated to Ask Zach. That's my goal and my plan. Um, I might just do it anyways, you know, but if you do like that idea, please tell me because I'm really excited for that. And tell me if you think it's a good idea. So Jackson writes in, Jackson says, I love to rewatch highlights of the best games in the NFL, you know, in recent years. I have always loved Sean Payton and the excellent coaching from the Saints staff, but rewatching the Saints versus the Steelers in week 16 bothered me. Anytime Taysom Hill was lined up at quarterback, that year, it was always a read option or a deep shot. So the question is, <laughs> it's a funny one, he says, is coaching hard? How do you think you'd be as a coach, and what kind of coach would you be? Were the Saints just lazy with their use of Taysom Hill, or is there some merit to his limited use? The Saints' use of Taysom Hill reminds me of how the Cowboys only used Tavon Austin for jet sweeps, screens, and returns. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. Number one is Taysom Hill deserves a lot of respect and a lot of credit. Uh, you know, the, the Saints have used him. He's a quarterback by trade. Taysom Hill is a quarterback. He's a quarterback who runs the ball, who catches passes, who plays on special teams, who throws the ball sometimes. They use him all over the field, and you got to give Taysom Hill a lot of credit. Taysom Hill did what Tim Tebow was unwilling to do. Tim Tebow had a job offer to a lot of teams in the NFL. They just didn't want him to be strictly a quarterback. Taysom Hill said, I will accept whatever role you want. I want to make money. I want to be in the NFL. I'll do whatever my coaches ask of me. You got to give that a lot of respect. The Saints have three quarterbacks on their roster. They have Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, and Taysom Hill. Most teams do not carry three quarterbacks. It's too many. Most teams carry two because there's only 53 roster spots. If you give a third to a quarterback who never plays, that's really rare, and a lot of teams don't do that. The, the, the New Orleans Saints said, okay, Taysom Hill. We're going to have you on our team as our third quarterback, but if you're going to be on our roster and take up a roster spot, you got to contribute. You got to catch passes. You got to play special teams. You got to be more than just a guy on the bench that never plays. And Taysom Hill has totally bought it. He deserves a ton of respect and praise and admiration for that. Now, there's a silly question Is coaching hard? Yes, coaching is hard. Of course, it's difficult. Coaching is crazy. Um, there's. It takes so much to be a good coach. I've been watching Trent Dilfer this year. He's the head coach of the high school football team in Tennessee. Uh, he's a guy I used to work with in high school very briefly. Not, I shouldn't make it sound like I worked with him all the time. I worked with him a couple of times in high school, and he's a great coach, man. He does a good job. And I think the reason why you know Trent Dilfer is working as a high school football coach is because he cares. Trent Dilfer cares about his players. And at the high school-college level, that is so important. It really NFL too, but NFL is more of a business. You're paying them, so it's less about their desire to work hard, yada yada. It's like if you don't work hard, we'll fire you. That's that's a pretty good reason to fight hard. But in college and in high school, when you're not paying guys, they're there for the love of the game. You got to give your players love. And Trent Dilfer is such a good coach because he cares. He's also a good coach who knows football. But I think being a good coach and caring about your players are one and the same. Now, let's talk about the Saints. You know, I'm going to give Sean Payton the benefit of the doubt here. Yes, he used Taysom Hill the same way every single time. Sure, you can make that criticism if you want. I think it's a fair one. But the way you feel, Jackson, you wrote in the question, you feel like, okay, they only throw the ball deep or they only run a zone read option, right? You go, okay, there's only two options of Taysom Hill as a quarterback. That's exactly how Sean Payton wants you to feel. Because guess what? He wants the defense to feel that way too. Because eventually, if they, all they do is those two things every single time, eventually they're going to work in a wrinkle. The reason why they want you to feel like he do, they do the same thing every time is for that one time 
they don't. That one time they add in a wrinkle and do something slightly different and catch the defense unprepared for it because the defense fell asleep because they were so used to Taysom Hill doing the same thing every single time. That is why you do that. The reason why you've done the same thing all year with Taysom Hill is so that in the playoffs or whatever it is, there's a, a one time where Taysom Hill does something different than you expect. Now, another part of this question was, would you be a good uh, coach? Uh, I think I'd be a good coach. I think, I think I'd be a great quarterback coach. Like I, one of my, like, I would love, I would really, really love to be a quarterback coach at a high school or a, a college coach. I, 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 like, I don't think it'll ever, I don't know how that would ever work because I already have a good job that I love. I love doing the show. It's really fun. Uh, but being a high school football quarterback coach, like just, just to work with quarterbacks and develop a young guy and be caring and loving and help the guy and then develop him as a quarterback and make him a better quarterback. and give, I think I am made for that. I think I would be a fantastic quarterback coach helping develop a young quarterback. I think I could do that really, really well. I've done that. I think in college I did that. I helped the young quarterbacks behind me. I was a backup quarterback who just helped. I, that's all I did. There was a, a quarterback ahead of me. I was really nice to him. I helped him. It was fun for me. Uh, I, I love that process. And so um, there's a lot of reasons why I left college. I think I'll get into them someday. Um, I think, you know, you're lucky. If you're listening to Ask Zach, you're going to hear something. I haven't told anybody at all. The biggest reason why I left my college was because I found a, an offensive coordinator whose style of offensive coaching and working with quarterbacks didn't work for me. There's a lot more to that story. Um, I, I, at the end of it, I didn't trust him at all. There's a lot of reasons for that. I, maybe I'll tell him someday. But I realized when I didn't trust my quarterback coach, and, I, and my quarterback coach and offensive coordinator were the same person, when I didn't trust him, and I didn't feel like he was telling me the truth, and his style of coaching and his style of working with quarterbacks didn't work for me, I knew it was time to leave. So if you're listening to Strong Opinion Sports and you're listening to Ask Zach, congratulations, you heard something I have not talked about. I don't know, how, I don't know why today I decided to do that. that. That's the long and the short, those, those couple reasons. That is why I left my college football team. Uh, I get coaches, I get, I've gotten job offers to be a coach. Uh, I'm, honestly, I'm going way too far into detail than I meant to. I should have just left it at, you know, hey, this coach didn't work for me. Uh, I didn't trust him. I didn't feel like he was telling me the truth. That was for me. The end of it, I'm done with that there. But I think I think the point was, I do believe I would be a really good quarterback coach. I think I'm made for that. Uh, I would enjoy it a lot. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, no, but the question, you know, Jackson writes in, he says, <laughs> is coaching hard? Yes. Coaching is very, very hard. It's not, you can't just coach. It's not like Madden. It's not, there's a lot to it. And you, the hardest part of coaching is, you got to make a ton of adjustments. You got to be able to adjust on the fly and make changes that puts your players in a position to be successful. And so um, that's what makes coaching so hard. You got to do that and you got to care about them and you got to win them over. That's why PJ Fleck is so cool at Minnesota. He's a leader of men who's just won his guys over, man. It's so, so cool for him. Uh, Travis writes in, Travis had a question. I really liked it. He said, Hey Zach, just wondering if you think a losing just wondering if you think losing a bunch of games can possibly stunt a rookie quarterback's career. Like, after going through a rough first season, do you think some of these young players lose passion and motivation? Um, no, I think you got to point to Peyton Manning's rookie year. Peyton Manning is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Had an incredible long... Whether you think he's the best or not, everybody, only an idiot would say Peyton Manning didn't have a great career. Everyone can agree. Peyton Manning had an incredible, great career. And that career started badly. Peyton Manning's first year, he went 3-13. and 13. He had 28 interceptions. He was awful, and his team was awful. But guess what? Instead of losing passion, he used that to motivate him to fight harder. Right? So I think if a guy loses passion when it's hard or when they fail— that's a big red flag that maybe they're not the right guy for the program. If you, let me be very clear. Losing is hard. Failing at your job, failing at whatever is hard. Failure and losing does not feel good. It's miserable. I failed. It stinks. It does not feel good. It's hard. And it's honestly, it's depressing. 
But guess what? If you quit and you let, if you lose your passion and motivation when it gets hard, it's a problem. Do you want to be a guy like Peyton Manning who loses and struggles and has a hard time and then uses that as motivation to become a better quarterback in the future? So can it, you know, can it stunt a rookie quarterback's growth to be, to lose a bunch of games? No. You know what can stunt a rookie quarterback's growth? Being a part of a bad organization. Why do teams lose games? It's usually not because they're losing. It's because they're a, a poorly run, bad organization. It's not the losses that make a quarterback's career ruined. It's the bad organization that ruins a quarterback's career. Just sometimes a bad organization and losing games overlap. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense. The next question is from W. Austin. I really like it. Uh, w. Austin writes in, he says, Hey, Zach. What kind of music do you listen to, and who is your favorite artist? I know it's a loaded question, so I'll simplify by asking, what are your top recent plays on Spotify? Can't wait for your next video. Uh, man, my uh, my favorite artist is John Bellion. I love, I love, I love, I love John Bellion. Uh, his lyrics are incredible. They're motivating. They're inspiring. The, the songs, it's not just the lyrics. It's also the way the song, like to me, music is about lyrics and feel. If the lyrics are great and the song makes you feel good or feel sad or feel emotion, that nails it for me. And John Bellion, the feel of his music, the lyrics he sings with, and the, the, his, the way he can be so, um, what's the word? He's so diverse. He has songs where he's playing piano singing acoustically. He has songs where he's rapping hardcore, incredible rap that pumps me up. He has songs that are poppy. He has songs that are... Everything you can imagine, John Bellion is capable of making. He's an artist, and it's more than just who he is as an artist. It's John Bellion doesn't care about the money, doesn't care about the fame. In fact, he doesn't want to be famous. It's really hilarious. John Bellion doesn't want attention. He doesn't like the media. He doesn't like any of it. John Bellion's passion is making music. And I would love to be the John Bellion of sports content where I don't care about the money or this or that. What I care about, and, and really... At the heart of what I, the reason why I do this show is because I love making content and talking about sports. That to me is the best. My film analysis videos became a thing because I just was like, I am passionate about this thing that I love. I want to share. I want to talk about Gardner Minshew and Josh Rosen and Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott and the Packers' entire team. To me, that's fun and. John Bellion's excitement and his passion for what he does. Watch a John Bellion behind the scenes video and just watch one of them. Bam. Go watch uh what's that song? Oh my gosh, it's my it's phenomenal. Uh what is it called? Uh it's not Lot Altum Low, it's um Guillotine. Go watch Guillotine Making of. That's funny how English is hard, I just forget things all the time. Go watch John it's my one of my favorite songs by him too. Go watch Guillotine. Uh, making of by John Bellion on YouTube. It'll change your life. It's like so cool. My favorite song by him is Money Right, by the way. It's a song about chasing your dreams and not getting what you want. And uh, it makes me makes me cry. You know, Money Right, uh, La La Land, that's another a movie about chasing your dreams. Um, now, I will also, I want to give a shout out to two other bands and two other artists. Um, I love AJR. AJR is phenomenal. I went and saw them live this summer. I love Post Malone. Post Malone's great. I went and saw him this summer. He's awesome. Um, and then there's a little band that no one's heard of. If you listen to Strong Opinion Sports uh, before and go to the end of the show, you've heard them. Almost Blonde is phenomenal. I stand by them. Almost Blonde. Uh, Ethan Day is one of the guys in that band. I, I love him. I'm a big fan of his. Almost Blonde is phenomenal, and I really love their content and love their band. Uh, the next question is from – it's really more of a comment, but I want to. I have something to say about it. Bill writes in, Bill says, I am a bandwagon Patriots fan, and I'm not afraid to admit it. I think the majority of sports fans are bandwagon fans. Just look at how viewership and attendance go up when a team is winning. I was just lucky enough to get on the bandwagon during, and he said during, it's in you know past tense, during school around 2002 to 2006, even when the Brady-Belichick era started. Haven't needed to get out that bandwagon ever since. I love how he writes that. And he's a little, the emoji. Uh, I don't know why people get upset at bandwagon fans or feel like they need to be a gatekeeper about being a fan. You're not a real fan unless you've been a fan during the bad times. It's just a game for entertainment. 
If people aren't enjoying the entertainment, they'll find something else. Absolutely. You know, I agree with a lot of that, right? Where if, if you don't like the product in front of you, don't watch. Don't be a part of something you hate. I was once a Seattle Mariners fan, and I hated the way that team was run. And I said, I can't be a fan of this. I can't support this anymore. It drives me crazy. It's not just about winning, right? It's not about, like, bandwagon fans, I think, join because they love teams that are winning. If I ever, you know, I think you should be a fan of your team and, you know, supporting a team, you should support a team who's doing things the right way. For example, the Arizona Cardinals are 3-7-1. and one. They're not winning games very much this year. But the way the Cardinals are run, they're building something. I... Totally understand why someone would be an Arizona Cardinals fan right now. They might not be winning a lot of games, but the Arizona Cardinals are building something and heading in the right direction. I can get behind that. I can support that. What I could not support a team was a team that was poorly run. Well-run teams win. So when you become a bandwagon fan, you become a, ba- a, ba- a fan of a team that's well-run. But the truth is, I just can't support a team that's poorly run. Like If, if you're a... Uh, I think a bandwagon fan should jump on. I think a fan, if you want to be a fan of a team, jump on when a team is doing stuff that you agree with. Oh, they added that player. They added this coach. They added this guy. I can support that. I like that. What I hate is when, and I understand, like if you're a team that's uh, like the Redskins right now are awful. They're awful. They're awful. They're so awful. And it, it torches them in their soul to be a fan of that team. And to me, my answer is don't be a fan of that team. Screw that team. They don't care about you. They don't care about, they're just trying to make money off of you literally and they're not putting out a product that you can be proud of, so why would you support that? But I think people that are fans of teams that are awful. For example, Browns fans were fans of an awful team for years. In fact, really, the Browns aren't that great this year. But they accuse people of being, ba- ba- being bandwagon fans because when you're a fan of a team that's awful, what else are you going to say? There's nothing else you can say other than, well, you support your team and you're a bandwagon fan because it's an insult because what else do you say there? When your team sucks, you have to have something to keep you going. So that's my whole rant about bandwagon fans. My whole thing is don't support a team that's poorly run where you completely disagree with all the stuff going on. If your team gets rid of your favorite player, fires a coach you like, or hires a coach you hate, or whatever, if you don't like the way your team is being run, don't support that team because that team doesn't care about you. My opinion, right? It's called strong opinion sports. Say it for a reason. Uh, but that's my whole opinion on bandwagon fans being fans of teams. I, I love that topic, man. I really do. Uh, the final thing I'm going to say is a thing from Michael. Michael says, my origin story for how I became a fan of my team is pretty simple and perhaps sappy. All of my favorite teams are because I grew up with two older brothers and one of them, Robbie, was very into sports, both playing and watching. Robbie was older by seven years and I copied who he rooted for, which makes me a Yankees fan from well before they were good again in the 90s and a New York Giants fan. Here I am now in my 30s rooting for those teams and often recalling the incredible memories of watching games with him. And even more, often wishing I could go back to simpler times when I was a kid with the occasions when my brother would get back from work and say, go to bed early tonight, we're going to a Giants game in the morning or want to go to a Yankees game tomorrow? I live in California now, originally from Connecticut, and a few months ago, I went to an Angels game when the Yankees were in town, and it brought me back to he brought me back in time for a few innings. Sports is extremely nostalgic for me, and although I grew up mostly a video game nerd who didn't really play them often, they hold some of my favorite memories. Michael, thank you, man. I, I love that. I, I love that so much. Um, for me, sports are an escape. Like for me, uh, I just get goosebumps as I said that. You know, when when I'm struggling, I've been I've been really really struggling personally behind the scenes for the last couple weeks. I've been dealing with some stuff privately that's been, um, been hard for me. And uh, sports are my, my thing. Like when you watch a, a football game or a baseball game or a basketball game, for that allotted amount of time, your focus is distracted. Now, you got to deal with your problems, right? You can't, having a distraction is great. The reality is you got to deal with your problems and, and tackle them head on. But uh, sports to me, or an incredible escape. Uh, Michael, I, I, I've played... Uh, so yesterday I was uh, rendering... I'm working on this Packers video. It's taking forever. And my computer's really slow. So 
um, I had to render this video. It took like four hours. And in that time, I downloaded and played Jedi Fallen Order. If you're a video game nerd, play Jedi Fallen Order. That game, I'm not, look, it's, it's similar to a Dark Souls game. And I don't, I'm not into Dark Souls like at all. I, it sounds hard and not fun to me. But what this game is, is it made me slow down and take my time. And with combat, is more slow and more deliberate. There's parrying and blocking. And oh my gosh, it's so much fun, man. I, the story's interesting. It's good. It's, uh, it's not a perfect video game at all. It's a very video gamey video game. But man, is it fun. And man, is it speaking to my needs. Uh, I, I recommend Jedi Fallen Order. Michael, if you're out there, if anyone out there listening is a, a video game nerd like I am, uh, I recommend Jedi Fallen Order, that game. Uh, it's it's not just a Star Wars game. If it wasn't a Star Wars game, it'd still be really fun. It's just a good game that I really, really enjoy, and uh, I recommend it. So, guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, once again, thank you to Bespoke Post for sponsoring this episode. Remember, uh, use code STRONG20 to get 20% off your first box. Uh, guys, thank you so much. That's all I have. Have a great day, and uh, take care. <laughs>